listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. We went down to the Inner Harbor in Baltimore, so we decided to go to Little Italy. Little Italy is a big deal because my parents, both of my parents grew up in Brooklyn. We used to go to Little Italy in New York City. My grandfather on my mother's side came over from Naples, Italy. My great-grandparents on both of my parents' sides both came over from Italy. So I know a thing or two about good Italian food and Italian-American culture. My grandparents were always cooking, always cooking in the kitchen, making spaghetti sauce, and I'll tell you a little bit about spaghetti sauce in just a minute. Well, when we went to Little Italy, we decided to go to an Italian restaurant, which is what you do in Little Italy, and we went into this restaurant that was recommended to us, and I made the mistake of ordering spaghetti and meatballs. I knew that it was a mistake, even though the atmosphere looked fantastic, it looked very Italian-American, but I knew that it was a mistake because I ordered the spaghetti and meatballs before I asked them about how they made the spaghetti and meatballs. And then after I ordered, the the waitress and I got to chit-chatting a little bit, and I found out that they didn't make their own sauce. (laughs) They buy their sauce. You know what fugazi is? It's Italian-American slang in the Brooklyn area, especially in New York, for fake, phony. So I'm in an Italian restaurant posing to be an Italian restaurant with fugazi spaghetti sauce. And you know what I was doing yesterday? I was making spaghetti sauce at my house (laughs) because I had something, there was a burr under my saddle. So I was cutting fresh tomatoes and cutting fresh garlic and rolling up. See, this this is part of what you need to do if you're going to make real Italian spaghetti sauce. You have to have sausage. You have to have fresh sausage, you have to have fresh tomatoes, fresh garlic, fresh onion, no fugazi anything, and then you roll up pigskin. You roll up pigskin that you stuff. You make this pigskin brujol. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And you stuff garlic in there and you roll this up and you wrap it up with string and hold it together because then that, that pigskin expands and cooks and adds all this flavor. Uh, It just marinates that whole sauce. That, my friends, is Italian spaghetti sauce. That's the real deal. That's how you do it. That's what I grew up with. So if you invite me to your house and you (laughs) present me with some other type of spaghetti sauce, you will traumatize me. That's fugazi. That's not the real deal. In order for it to be real deal, I've given you a little bit of a hint of what's involved. All around us, there are fugazis, there are fakes, there are posers, there are things that are presenting themselves to be the real deal, and they're not real. There are people who claim to be Christians, Christ followers, and they're not following Christ. There are ministers who claim to be ministering, but they're not really ministering, they're leading people astray. There are fugazis all around us. For example, there was a guy on Twitter with thousands of people following him who presented himself as a reverend. I don't know what he was a reverend of, 
but he took issue with one of my Twitter posts, one of my tweets, which was focusing on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which I often do. If you follow me on my Twitter feed, at God Factor, you'll see what I tweet about. And this guy took issue, this minister, and he posted a picture that said this, Dear Christian brothers and sisters, I, Jesus, came to the world 2,000 years ago. I didn't come to die. My Father in heaven wanted me to live on earth. Deep in my heart, I wanted to create my own family. With this God-centered family, I could have brought total salvation. If I had succeeded, there would be no need for the return of the Lord or the second coming. You can liberate my heart if you click like and share. That is what we call a false gospel and a false Jesus. It doesn't get more fugazi than that. It's fake. There are people who think that we can preach Jesus and talk about Jesus and talk about the gospel without talking about the crucifixion, without talking about the cross. Brothers and sisters, if you're listening by podcast or radio, if you remove the crucifixion from the gospel, the good news, there is no good news and there is no gospel. That's called fugazi. It's called fake. And you should be more concerned about it than I am about fake spaghetti and meatballs and fake spaghetti sauce. See, all around us, there are people who are members of the Nighttime Bible Reading Society. The Nighttime Bible Reading Society is comprised of a group of people who read the Bible at night, lights off, sunglasses on, and one eye closed. And you know what happens if you read the Bible at night? lights off, sunglasses on, and one eye closed, you come up with fugazi interpretations of Scripture. You come up with fake interpretations of Scripture, fake Jesuses, and a fake gospel, which is no gospel at all. Let's have the lights back on, please. In the Word of God, in Luke chapter 18, turn with me in our Father's Word, we're going to look at four verses of Scripture which should persuade you, should persuade me, should persuade every single one of us about the real nature of the real gospel and the real Jesus, why Jesus came, why it was essential for Jesus to die on the cross, and the consequence the result of Jesus' crucifixion, which was intentional, not accidental at all. The real gospel that involves the real Jesus has a real cross. It happened in real history, and there are real ramifications for you and for me. In Luke chapter 18, in our Father's Word, we look at verse 31, and it says this. And taking the twelve, he, Jesus, said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, the one who lays the foundation for the New Testament, who did the majority of the writing in the New Testament, has this to say about the crucifixion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 22, he says, "'For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom.'" 
But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Just like that Fugazi, that fake minister of the gospel who's on Twitter, who thinks that there is such a thing as a gospel without the crucifixion, thinks that there is such a thing as the good news without the good news. The good news has as part of it bad news. The bad news is what resulted and what results in good news for you and for me. And the bad news is that God made him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, become sin, take on your sin and mine so that you and I who don't deserve forgiveness, who don't deserve to be seen as righteous by God the Father, could become the righteousness of God. The bad news is that it would it would be an exorbitantly high price, an unbelievably high price. The gospel was not free. The price that was paid is the highest possible price, the death of Jesus Christ, that God would make him who knew no sin. It's the idea of the virgin birth, the idea of Jesus being tempted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Jesus was without sin, any sin, in thought, in word, and in deed, and paid a price for you and for me so that we could receive something that we don't really deserve, which is absolute forgiveness. It's free for you and for me, but it was not free for God, not free for Jesus. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. It is a stumbling block. It's something that makes mere mortals who are members of the nighttime Bible reading society scratch their heads, try to make their way around in this world by ignoring large portions of Scripture that must not be ignored. Now here, in Luke chapter 18, in verses 31 through 34, this is not the first time, it's not the second time, it is now the third time that Jesus has brought up through the physician Luke in the gospel of Luke, this idea of the intentional crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, when the Bible says something once, it's sufficient. When the Bible says something twice, it should get our attention. When the Bible says something three times, if we're not getting that understanding that it's important, then we would be able to use another Italian expression, gabatost, thick-headed. If it's not sinking in after the third time that we are members of the nighttime Bible reading society, we're reading the Bible at night, lights off, sunglasses on, and one eye closed, at least we might as well be. Now, nobody in their right mind would intentionally try to read the Bible that way because you will fumble around in the dark, literally. But yet you might as well be, I might as well be, if we're not going to read the full counsel of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. There are 66 books in the Bible, collection of books, on purpose, because God wants us to read all of it. He wants us to be familiar with all of the Bible. And if you don't take the time to read all of the Bible and let Scripture interpret Scripture, the Bible is the best commentary on itself that you'll ever find. If you don't take time, if I don't take time individually and in our families and in the church, imagine that. If we don't take time to read the full counsel of Scripture, then you might as well be. I might as well be. We might as well be members of the nighttime Bible reading society. Missing 
huge portions of Scripture and coming to false conclusions about Jesus, false conclusions about the Bible, missing the truth that is there about the identity of Jesus Christ and his intentional mission, the reason why he came the first time around, which leads the way to why he's coming back the second time. Now, if we go to Luke chapter 9, turn with me to Luke chapter 9, you can see the first and the second time where the physician Luke, writing about the great physician, Jesus, records the specificity and the intentionality of the crucifixion of Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 21, and he, Jesus, strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Doesn't get much clearer than that, but lest we misunderstand, lest we want to sanitize the Scriptures, we go again to Luke chapter 9, verse 43. And all were astonished at the majesty of God, but while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. Let the words of God so sink into your ears and even your hearts that you become like a meatball and a pot of real Italian spaghetti sauce absorbing all of the flavors of the fresh basil and the bay leaf and the garlic and the onion and the fresh tomatoes. You want that meatball to marinate in that sauce. You want that pigskin to become soft taking in and absorbing all of the flavors of everything in that pot so that when you take that fork and you cut open that meatball and the steam and the aroma wafts up into your nose and you faint in ecstasy. (laughs) See, that's what should be happening when you read the Bible. That's the way to read the Bible. Let these words sink into your ears. Read this book in such a way that the Word of God gets into you. The Word of God comes out of you. That's the remedy for foul language. That's the remedy for foul thinking. That's the remedy for wayward eyes that look at things on the internet that we shouldn't look at. And even if you're looking at a quote-unquote conservative news site, you see that a lot of the pictures on supposedly conservative websites aren't necessarily very conservative, are they? You've got to take care of your eyes. The best way to take care of your eyes is to take care of your heart. Best way to take care of your heart is to use your eyes to read the Bible. 
meditate on the words of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says here so that when he says, let these words sink into your ears, quote, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. No surprise here. Jesus is anticipating what he came to do. He lived to die. He knew what was on the horizon. Verse 45 in chapter 9 of Luke's gospel, but they did not understand the saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So then when we come to Luke chapter 18, we see in Luke's gospel alone, the physician helping us understand with absolute clarity Look at what he says in verse 31, taking the 12, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. You never go down to Jerusalem. It's a, it's a phrase that's used repeatedly in the Gospels. Whenever you go to Jerusalem, you see it in the Old Testament too, somebody never goes down to Jerusalem. You never go down to Jerusalem, even if topographically, even if geographically, you're at a higher elevation than what Jerusalem might be. You never go down to Jerusalem. It's a term of reverence. You go up to Jerusalem because that's where all of this great stuff happens. That's the city of God. That's where the gospel is centered around, Jerusalem. And the Jew of Jews, the King of Kings, Jesus, who would die outside the walls of Jerusalem, outside the city limits. So it's a term of endearment. And we need to remember that today in this day and age where Jerusalem is being marginalized, where Israel is being marginalized. It's just like the plan of the enemy, just like the members of the Nighttime Bible Reading Society to marginalize and diminish and belittle to marginalize and diminish and belittle what God holds in high esteem, whether it's Jerusalem or whether it's the cross. Here, Jesus, again, with absolute clarity, knows why he came into the world. He lived to die. It's not an accident that Luke is recording this. In fact, he begins his gospel by saying, many have undertaken to write an account of the things that took place among us. And since others wrote this account, I thought it would be appropriate for me as somebody who traveled with the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, Luke wrote the book of Acts, since I investigated these things in keeping with the personality, the personality type of a doctor wanting to be thorough, I wrote an account too. And so Luke is being very intentional in his gospel. You can read the other gospels for yourself and you will see that the whole kernel of truth in the gospel, what makes it the good news is the bad news, that Jesus would pay an exorbitantly high price with his own body, with his own life, so that you and I would have life. Now notice what Jesus does here, verse 31, in Luke chapter 18, taking the twelve, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. If you look at Daniel chapter seven, you will see this phrase, this title used, the Son of Man. This phrase, this title for Jesus is his favorite title that we see him using of himself. We see it, we've just seen it in Luke chapter nine twice, the Son of Man. 
It's going to be handed over to the elders, the leaders of Israel. Son of man, it's going to be betrayed by the Gentiles. We see it here in Luke chapter 18. The first indication in Luke's gospel of the role of the Romans, the non-Jewish people. See, it wasn't just the Jews who had Jesus crucified. It wasn't just the Gentiles who had Jesus crucified. It was you and it was me. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You can't make this stuff up. Nobody made this stuff up. The gospel is that each and every one of us would have done what the people in that day did. We wouldn't have esteemed Jesus. In fact, in fact Isaiah 53, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Look at what it says here. In verse 3, hundreds and hundreds of years before the arrival of Jesus Christ, before the crucifixion, which was intentional, Isaiah wrote these words. He, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, with his beatings, with his blows, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living. The idea that he didn't have human descendants. He did not have a family because he was crucified. In verse 9, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. If you read the gospel accounts, you can see for yourself. Don't take my word for it. You can see for yourself that Jesus was laid into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, a wealthy man. And here it is, hundreds and hundreds of years before the event actually took place. The crucifixion and the type of death that Jesus would endure, prophesied about very clearly. You can read Psalm 22 for yourself. You can read all through the scriptures. In fact, if we were to turn, if you would like to, to Luke chapter 24, there's a situation where a man named Cleopas is with another of the disciples and Jesus comes alongside of them on the road to Emmaus. And he hears them talking. And in Luke chapter 24, Jesus comes alongside and They begin to tell Jesus, who they don't understand is Jesus at this point, all the things that were happening, and Jesus says to them in verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ would suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Moses and all the prophets, that's a reference to the entire Old Testament. 
Every single word, every single phrase, every single book, every single chapter, every single paragraph, every single yod and tittle, every single mark of the Hebrew language. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Make no doubt about it, the entire Bible is about Jesus. And the entire Bible makes it abundantly clear, unless you're a member of the Nighttime Bible Reading Society, the Bible makes it abundantly clear. So even I might have a Bible in my hand, but I can't read it with the lights off. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that Jesus lived to die so that you could die to yourself and live for Christ so that I could do that, so that we could be the aroma of Jesus Christ. Look at what Jesus does in Luke chapter 18, verse 31. Taking the 12, he said to them, we see that this is absolutely unmistakable. Jesus is being intentional. He's taking the 12. He's doing what a rabbi would do with his entourage, his inner circle. We know that he took Peter, James, and John aside from within the 12. We know that he took the 12 aside from the crowds. Earlier in Luke's gospel, the 12 had expanded to the 72. We see Jesus intentionally trying to replicate. He takes the 12 aside and he wants to give them an understanding about himself that they didn't understand at that time, but they understood in hindsight, the same way that you and I understand in hindsight. He wants them to understand what they are going to be passing on. He wants them to understand as the rabbi of rabbis, as the teacher of teachers, he wants them to get the message because, see, the the importance of a teacher is based upon what is the content. I know that we're living in a day and an age where form often trumps the content, but that's not true when it comes to the ways of God. It's the content that trumps the form. If you don't believe that, And go back and understand how when Paul was preaching and teaching, he put a guy to sleep who was on the upper floor of a house. And Paul, not being an eloquent speaker, not being a dynamic speaker, this guy fell asleep and fell out of the window and died. He fell to his death. And then Paul placed his body on him and the guy was raised back to life. See, what's important in the gospel message is the truth of the message. The messenger might not be eloquent, And in fact, we're living in a day and age where more and more, it seems, of the messengers are actually disgraceful, where they purport to be about family values, and all the while might have been involved in an adulterous affair, contradicting what they're espousing with their mouths compensating for the hidden sin, which is really not hidden. There's no sin that goes hidden for too long. Compensating for the sin in their own lives by not practicing what they preach, but preaching to the whole world and living a hypocritical life. Yes, you don't have to go too far to find somebody who's living a hypocritical life, talking about Jesus, but not following the Jesus that they're talking about, not practicing what they preach, but no one will be excused at the judgment seat of Christ for what your neighbor did, for what the pastor did or the elders did or the Sunday school teacher did or the children's worker did. None of us will be able to stand and point to the hypocrisy of somebody else's life 
as if we were without excuse. What Jesus is doing here to the 12 is helping them understand the foundation of the whole message. Everything else upon the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that's everything else is piled upon the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. There's no good news without the bad news. And so Jesus pulls the 12 aside and helps them understand, listen, I don't want you to misunderstand this. I'm going to be betrayed. They're going to spit on me. They're going to take a cat and nine tails with pieces of bone at the end of long strands of leather and nails at the end of this. And they're going to take this and they're going to, they're going to spit on me. They're going to beat me to such a pulp that Pontius Pilate is eventually going to be able to say, <laughs> you want a man? Look at this man. Is that the right word to use for this quivering mass of bloody disgustingness with this crown of thorns on his head? Behold the man. Look at the man. Jesus is telling them ahead of time. This in Isaiah 53 is true. Psalm 22 is true in me. They divided my garments among them. Read Psalm 22 for yourself. Written hundreds and hundreds of years before the event actually took place. Jesus wants the 12 to understand that there is no good news without the bad news. It's a fugazi gospel if you take away the cross. If you take away the crucifixion, there's no good news. The gospel writer Luke wants them to understand, wants us to understand with such clarity that he records Jesus' words. Jesus might have said it more than three times. In fact, I don't think it's speculation at all. The cross and the crucifixion were so central to the purpose of Jesus coming the first time and so central to the forgiveness of your sin and the forgiveness of mine that Jesus had to repeat himself. In fact, we have to repeat the words of Jesus again and again because with the passage of time, you know what will happen? You will get a, a bonk on the head. Something will happen in your life if it hasn't happened already. Something will happen in my life and it has happened, and it happens repeatedly. Something will happen in our lives that will devastate us. It will sidetrack us. It will cause us to, to begin to look at something else other than the identity and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if you begin to look at something else, somebody else's life, somebody else's behavior, who claims to be a Christ follower, you begin to look at the things that happen in your life that you didn't expect, that you didn't anticipate. You let the things of life happen to you apart from being in the Bible and letting the Bible help you interpret the events of life. You will get such a bonk on your head. You will end up with spiritual amnesia. You will forget the importance of the cross. You will forget the importance of the crucifixion. And if you forget the cross and the crucifixion and the intentionality and the incredibly high price that Jesus intentionally paid so that you could have life, so that I could have life, so that you and I, so that we could have forgiveness of sin, you will begin to trust in someone and something other than the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Listen, 
when Jesus hung on the cross and at the end uttered those three fateful words, it is finished, he did not wink. What was finished? The complete and total payment of every single one of our sins. Every single one. And so when we read, not only in Luke chapter 18, about the crucifixion, Jesus knowing exactly how it would go down. And when we read in the book of Romans in chapter 3, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 3. We understand that the greatest news in your life is the cross, followed by the resurrection. The greatest news in my life is the cross, followed by the resurrection, because in the resurrection, we have God the Father's definitive statement that he accepts what Jesus did on the cross as the payment for your sin and for mine. Do you understand? Do we understand that the verdict is in? When you go to a court and the judge sits there on his seat and has in his hand a gavel, he brings down that gavel and eventually pronounces guilt or innocence. The gavel comes down. That's what the judge does. And that is exactly what God the Father, as the judge and the jury, declared the sufficiency of the death of Jesus Christ, the acceptability of the death of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and mine, and as the payment in full for the penalty that you could not pay. You were in over your head. You are in over your head until and unless you accept the death of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. God made him who knew no sin become your sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. Remember that the next time you think that God isn't fair. And thank him that he isn't. Because God is fair according to his means of exercising fairness. God is just in accordance with the way he exercises justice. If God were fair, he would send you and me into an eternity, eternally and forever separate from him. But God in his fairness and God in his justice did not look away from your sin and mine, but looked at it squarely with tremendous agony when he put your sin and mine on Jesus, on that cross, nailed every single one of your sins to that cross and didn't overlook the payment, but made the payment in full 
himself. The good news has at its center the bad news. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, the word of God says, for by works of the law, meaning any deeds that you could do in the Old Testament, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Why all of the Old Testament? To help us understand that you're a sinner and that I'm a sinner, that we need someone to pay the penalty that we could not pay. Verse 21, Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, the purchasing of you for God that comes through Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation or an atoning sacrifice, a payment in full by his blood to be received by faith. Wow. There's no good news without that bad news, and the bad news results in the good news. But it must be received by faith. There are people out there that believe that Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world. The nighttime Bible reading society would have us forget this passage of Scripture. It's got to be received by faith. You have to personally accept the death of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It was finished. It is finished, Jesus said. What is finished? The full payment, the full requirement that God the Father said had to be paid. Put on Jesus squarely. But just like any gift, before it can be enjoyed, has to be received. You have to personally receive the gift of God. And that gift is that God would lay every single one of your sins on the person of Jesus Christ. That the wrath of God, you want to know how upsetting sin is to God the Father? Look no further than the cross. Yes, our sin is upsetting to the Father. Somehow, justice and mercy kissed on that cross. Your sin and mine is not just disturbing to God. It's reprehensible to him. Your sin and mine is so significant and so disturbing to God the Father that he would willingly send his one-of-a-kind, uniquely brought forth, without sin, son, to meet every single one of his requirements. See, God didn't change the requirement that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. What God did is he provided the requirement. 
through Jesus Christ. So when you hear somebody try to preach a fugazi gospel, when you hear somebody try to preach a phony gospel, when you hear somebody try to take the crucifixion, try to take the cross out of Christ, you understand something is fundamentally wrong with them. They've been reading their Bible at night, lights off, sunglasses on, one eye closed. Whether intentionally or not, lights on. There are people who are members of that society, the Nighttime Bible Reading Society, trying to get you to believe something that you should not believe, trying to get you to forget something you should never forget. And what you and I can forget through spiritual amnesia is the importance of the cross, the importance of the crucifixion. There is no good news without the bad news. The bad news is that there was a tremendously high price paid for the forgiveness of your sin and mine. With the passage of time, you can begin to think that you can be a good enough person to satisfy God. Or you can begin to think that you have committed some sin somewhere that is too big for Jesus to forgive. No, the good news, which is the great news, there is no sin that you have committed there is no sin that you have committed by not doing what you should have done that is so big that Jesus, when he hung on the cross and said, it is finished, did not pay for. Jesus paid for every single one of your sins and mine, and he paid for it on this thing called the cross. There is no good news without the cross. There is no great news without the crucifixion. There is no biblical Jesus without understanding the intentionality in which he came the first time around. So you've got to be careful. John chapter 5. Look with me in our Father's Word at John chapter 5. You've got to be careful that you don't begin to trust in anything, anything, other than the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. In John chapter 5, in verse 39, see, this is, the, this is a verse that you and I have to be cognizant of as followers of Jesus Christ. If you are a church-going follower of Jesus Christ, you are in a dangerous place. If you are an evangelical Christian who believes in the Word of God, believes that all 66 books of the Bible are inspired by God, divinely breathed, that the Word of God is found from Genesis to Revelation, you're at a dangerous place and you might experience spiritual amnesia and begin to morph into a Pharisee. Jesus was warning them here and he's warning us today. Look with me at John chapter 5, verse 39. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Knowing the Bible, following the Bible is a beautiful, good, 
important thing. Through the Bible, we become conscious of how to live for God, how to straighten out your family. The answer is in the Scriptures. How to be a loving husband. The answer is in the Scriptures. How to be a loving wife. It's in the Scriptures. How to be a godly child, a son or a daughter. It's in the Scriptures. How to be a godly mother and father. In the Scriptures, how to be a godly elder, a godly deacon, a godly pastor. How to live for Jesus Christ. It's in the Scriptures. But by doing what we should do, by reading the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, you have to understand, I have to understand that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is that the good news is good news because of the bad news. You're made righteous, I am made righteous, not by following the scriptures. You're made righteous and I'm made righteous by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Glory to Almighty God. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm-hmm.